Well, hello there, and welcome to the 52nd episode of DF Direct Weekly. It is our weekly show where we talk about the latest gaming and technology news and field a bunch of questions from backers of the DF Supporter Programme. Packed show today, and joining me to discuss all of this fantastic news, first of all, John Linneman. Rich, uh, I'm back, ready to talk about some... Uh interesting reveals and other things this week. Absolutely. And uh, of course, Alex Batalia. Yep. Uh, I return uh, busy at work, uh, just like everyone else is here. And I can't wait to talk about some of the things we have on the agenda today. You, you literally can't wait. That's fantastic. I cannot wait. Let's he's he's right been now. bugging me all morning. Like, dude, I got to <laughs> talk about this. And it, but the original show was just going to be an hour of Alex ranting about stuttering in PC games, but we decided we should probably rein it in, yeah, so I think we're going to do other in. stuff first. I'd say, we've, uh, based on my estimate, we've got about 45 minutes until Alex starts ranting about stutter. But, but let us begin. So, <laughs> first topic we're going to be talking about, uh, last night, based on our filming schedule at least, uh, Sony dropped the latest state of play. And um, looking at the docket here, it says we're going to recap it. Uh, I think more specifically, we're going to talk about what was in it and what we think about it. Uh, I'm going to go to you with this one, John. Uh, the focus here was on Japanese games, and um, I, I quite enjoyed it, actually. It was kind of like nice to have a bit of a departure from AAA juggernauts for a while. Yeah, I got to say, it was, there was some really cool stuff shown. Like, I know people these days are always looking for the bangers, but... I don't know. I thought I thought there was some pretty good stuff in here. The show opened with something very bizarre. Capcom revealed something called Exoprimal, which up until they revealed it, like I was I was waiting for that title card to say Dino Crisis something. Sorry, sorry, Jaw Monster, right? Right, sorry. <laughs> but uh, it looks like this weird tactical shooter. Almost, I was almost thinking of like Lost Planet Two in terms of like playing with multiple people. But it's like literally dinosaurs falling out of the sky into a city in very large numbers. Um, the frame rate was very unsteady in the trailer, I have to say. But uh, visually, it's really interesting, bizarre, and uh, I am certainly curious to see what the heck it actually is and what they do with this. I'm wondering if that's going to turn into the, to this generation's deep down, where it just kind of like appears and yeah. it doesn't disappears, <laughs> never materializes. Is this what became of it? Like, I, I really don't know. But it had like that same city skyline. That's what I thought it was originally I, I when they too. showed I the trailer. Yeah. I mean, my perspective on this one, uh, just uh, kind of existential horror that this is coming out in 2023 and there's going to be a PS4 version. Mm. Uh, I mean, why? <laughs> I mean, the, you know, that's kind of crazy, right? And I mean, I will. System. I'm, I'm personally tired of cross gen for my personal gaming. But at the same time, it does tend to make for more interesting videos for us because, I mean, the difference between current gen stuff is usually very small, but the stuff between current gen and last gen tends to be pretty significant. So uh, that could be interesting, at least. Any thoughts on this one, Alex? On uh, Exoprimal. It reminded me of that Avalanche game, which I think is called Extinction uh, or something like that, which is also like a multiplayer co-op shoot the dinosaur game. Uh, first person, though, uh, there. Um, I, I thought this was actually not a really great showing of like the visual prowess that we've seen from the RE engine. Uh, uh, so like uh, maybe it's because they're targeting a flat 60 on PlayStation 4 for all we know, but it, I think it really... 
it John was saying it reminded him of Lost Planet too, but it also reminded me of like just like the general like approach to materials and scene construction that you saw in that era of games. It didn't look super like like I think Resident Evil Village is a quite a handsome looking game. It didn't look even as good as that. So I don't know the reason for it, but uh once again, this is probably an earlier showing if it's launching in 2023, if it does actually launch then. I'm legit wondering if like one of the artists at Capcom was just like fiddling around and he's like, Whoa, I developed like a particle system that just spawns dinosaurs and he clicks all over the screen, just dinosaurs, and they were like, wait a minute, this could be a, this is a game idea. <laughs> yeah, there was some uh, depressing uh uh, sort of uh, echoes of Anthem with some of the character designs. You're right. We don't we don't but, say uh, the A word on here, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next game, uh, Ghostwire Tokyo. That was looking really nice, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean that's basically almost out. We don't have it currently, and if we did, we couldn't probably couldn't talk about it yet. But I'm actually <laughs> very interested in playing this because I I like what what this team over there has done in the past. Obviously, they did the two Evil Within games. Uh, this is sort of a, a shift from that, and it's now a first-person sort of uh, very strange-looking action game. But it is weird they've shifted to Unreal Engine for this one versus the weird offshoot of id Tech they used in the past. That might actually be a good thing for them. Although, if this has a PC version, I think we're going to be seeing a lot of the S-word, right, Alex? <laughs> no, let's leave it. Let's leave the A and the S-word to the side till 45 minutes, John. Um, oh, yeah, we'll leave that. We'll wait. <laughs> Yeah, the AS. Yes, there's a moratorium on Stutter and for another, well, let me just check the timing here, 39 minutes. It's ticking down. Ticking down. Uh, I think this also uh, is a really cool looking game. One, I'm really happy to see a game from them that takes place in actually Japan, in Tokyo. Uh, Evil Within and Evil Within 2 are kind of just like Gennaro, I don't know, it's like something that's based on Chicago or the outskirts of Chicago. That's what I always thought of uh, with those games visually. Um, so I really like that we're seeing a game not taking place in a Western country. And I'm really happy that it's first person because I find horror games in general are much more horrifying if you have like the scope and limited view of immersion that you have in first person. So I'm always a big fan of first person horror games. Uh, cannot wait to play it. Uh, I hope I get to cover it on PlayStation 5 and PC if the time comes. Other titles that we probably should uh, discuss quickly. Um, Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origin has a demo out now. Uh, I haven't looked at that. I don't know if you had a chance to. I mean, we looked at the old demo, but um, I'm secretly kind of, kind of excited for this game because I think it is essentially being developed by uh, the folks behind Neo, Team Ninja. And it's basically that plus Final Fantasy. And there's a lot of cool, like... Um, stuff relating to many Final Fantasy games throughout this. Uh, so it's it's it looks pretty fan servicey in that sense, but also like those guys are they make a good soul style game. Uh, and although maybe releasing this close to Elden Ring is a little bit um, I don't know, not the best business move, but I will say that at least this looks like a more traditional soul style experience rather than the more open world variety. so uh, I mean, I, I hope that I hope it's as good as Neo or better. Uh, we also had a trailer for Forspoken, uh, which uh, I still can't find in a dictionary. By the way, that name, that word. Um, uh, but that game was recently. Uh, I think it was put back until October, November, even. Um, so, um, but yeah, again, not really too much to add to that, except I thought it was looking really good. Nice to see the return of the uh, Luminous engine there. 
um, in in the world where Unreal Engine Four is starting to dominate. Is, is Forspoken coming to PC? Yes, it is, and it is. Uh, it's interesting because they've uh, there's been GDC uh, presentations uh, that have been posted, uh, and Forspoken uh, was on there as a presentation where the, it's talking about them integrating. Uh, AMD sponsored technology, uh, I think ray trace shadows uh, and things like that, as well as uh, they describe their introduction and usage of direct storage API on PC in that uh, demo. So this may be one of the, it was going to be, but now we'll see because it's delayed, but this will definitely be one of the first direct storage games on PC. And I'm really curious how they leverage that uh, to make the game run better in the open world. I mean, there's a good chance this is going to look and run a lot better than like Final Fantasy VII Remake on PC, for instance. Yes, This, I hope this so. engine has a better track record now. <laughs> yes, I like this engine quite a bit, actually. Um, I thought Final Fantasy XV on PC was really good looking. And the only thing, that, the issue that I've seen with this game so far is that Every single time they've shown it off, they showed it off at like a really poor 30 FPS. I don't know what they're showing it off on always. Um, this gameplay trailer also didn't necessarily always have the best uh, performance. Uh, um, so it's hard to say, but I really wish they, uh, you know, they bring that frame rate up on whatever platform they keep showing it off on because <laughs> it doesn't look so great. <laughs> um, actually, uh, I'm going to interject here by saying thank you to Sony for actually saying what we were looking at with every single trailer, you know, um, they were saying whether it's gameplay or not, whether it's a cinematic or not, even whether the camera angles were indicative of camera angles in gameplay. Um, this is all really positive stuff uh, in a world where often we have these montages of trailers and you have no idea what you're looking at or why. Uh, going to the last game <laughs> uh, in the uh, in the lineup, Valkyrie uh, Elysium. Uh, I did enjoy the caption there, not actual gameplay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Which, which you know, so what is it? Is it imaginary? Is it, you know, <laughs> it's gameplay from an alternate timeline? I think that's it. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, I actually really liked that uh, transparency because, um, you know, I don't even mind if we're seeing PC versions, um, as long as it's real time, as long as it is actually of something. Do you know what I mean? Um, and if you want to get a cinematic out, uh, out there, okay. But, you know, at least tell us that it's a cinematic rather than, you know, just sort of holding out hope to people that this is actually what the game is going to look like. Um, any other titles we want to discuss from this? Um, obviously, there was um, the Turtles <laughs> Kawabunga collection. That's cool, actually. I was it not the Kawabundle? Really... Bundle? I don't know. But... Kawabundle. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that, that's cool because it looks like, you know, I mean, I guess the rights issues have been solved now and it's all under one roof, but they're basically gathering all the old games, both... They're doing console and arcade games and one whole collection and even handheld games from like Game Boy uh, and even multiple, you know, in cases where games had different versions of different consoles, they even seem to be including those. So like, it seems really uh, comprehensive in a way that's kind of surprising and awesome. Um, and it's great. It'll be good to have those arcade games kind of back in an easily accessible form. So um, I'm happy that they're making that. Uh, the other two I that caught my eye was um, the last two from Square, Valkyrie Elysium. I'm not sure. I'm I'm still uncertain based on what they showed gameplay wise, but I am at least happy to see that the series is returning 
because it's been a long time since a proper Valkyrie game released. Um, I, I love those originals, especially, obviously, the first one. Just an amazing game on PlayStation. Um, and then the Dio Field Chronicle, which uh, looks like a really cool sort of like fantasy tactical game from them. That actually, so like I I I like uh, those sort of tactic style RPGs. They just released Triangle Strategy, which is also really good. But this actually looks more like Fantasy XCOM in a way, and uh, I, I I like what they showed. So I'm I'm kind of really excited to see that. I mean, and you know, uh, the rest of it, you know, there was some some interesting stuff. I mean, they announced the co-op patch for Returnal, which is actually kind of awesome. I'm. I'm genuinely very curious to see how that plays. Tractor Yomi looks oh, yeah. very, very interesting. That mm-hmm. also looked quite good. The one game that didn't look too great was the Gundam one. Yeah, uh, that, one that, looks, one, that one looked pretty that, bad. That <laughs> looked pretty rough. I mean, part of the, the allure of being in a Gundam, I think, is actually seeing it and you like like the Gundam and seeing how it looks and all these things. Uh, because you know most of the Gundam series of like anime and manga and uh, like mecha stuff is like always showing off the Gundam, and here it's just like a, a hand with like a gun. Like I don't know. Like I feel like they're missing the point of like cool robots need to look cool. Gundam is so many things, right? And it's not all flashy, fast like that. So it seems a little bit more tied to the older school Gundam. They did kind of lower expectations uh, to begin with, just by saying, hey, we're not going to be talking about PSVR 2. We're not going to be talking about hardware. Uh, this is going to be a focus on mostly Japanese titles. Um, so, yeah, you know, with those expectations in mind, I actually really enjoyed it. And, um, yeah, particularly the Returnal patch, as we talked about earlier. I'm really looking forward to that. But, yeah, some interesting stuff in there. But let's move on to our next topic Horizon Forbidden West, there's been quite a lot of controversy about uh, image quality there, specifically uh, an S-word that isn't Alex's uh, pet hate, Shiba. And um, specifically with vegetation, there's been a new 1.007 patch that aims to, I don't know whether fully address it, but to at least partially address it. So... I actually had the older version of the game installed on my PS5. I captured some of the beginning of the game, updated the title, and um, did some side-by-sides. And there are differences here, and it's quite interesting to see what they're doing. I'm not sure if it fully addresses the issue. I'm not sure what they can do to address the issue, to be honest. I wrote about this on Twitter, and, you know, there's only some... I think Rich was talking about that. There's only so much they can do. Uh, to keep the performance up in the 60 FPS mode, they decided to use 1800 checkerboarded with dynamic res. So it'll drop resolution uh, at times when it needs to to keep up 60. And, you know, 1800 checkerboard uh, and checkerboard in general with like things that are like foliage and transparent geometry, it's not so good at those kind of things. And the game has so much foliage in it. So people were seeing a lot of that. And uh, in that thread on Twitter, I made mention of like okay so one way you can reduce shimmering on foliage in general is just make it use a higher MIP level so the textures lower res at a distance and it then blends and blurs better across a frame time multiple frames and i think that's what we're seeing here on a lot of the foliage uh i think when you just look at them side by side i'm not sure how it's going to be presented here in the df direct necessarily the uh, footage rich captures does show off i think that a lot of the smaller 
you know, like um, spindly, uh, thin stalked foliage uh, does look quite a bit better in the new patch in terms of how it doesn't shimmer as much over time. But other scenes, they look still really shimmery. And I think that's just uh, a consequence of the, the resolution this game is running at uh, to hit 60 FPS in these scenes. I think that's really just about it, given the game's art style. I don't think there's much that can be done. I mean, short of completely revamping the checkerboard and TAA solution. That's kind of it, isn't it? Um, but John, um, the focus has been on the performance mode. I'm sure you've got some comments about that, but the actual image quality of the 4K quality mode has changed as well. Yeah, so I haven't actually done the side-by-side -side comparison, but I am I looked at the game for so long that I'm very familiar with how it looked normally. And after this patch, I feel like the 4K mode has also been softened. Uh, and I feel like this is actually... I'm not sure exactly what they're doing, but I think it. I think they're trying to address that issue. Some people had issues with the way, like when you would move the camera around a lot of the foliage, it would kind of get this sort of like almost like dark flickering effect due to the extreme sharpness. Uh, it never actually bothered me that much, but depending on the settings of your TV, it can definitely be more or less severe. Um, and I think that's been somewhat improved. It doesn't seem to do that much anymore. Or at least to my eye now, it looks a lot better. But at the same time, the game also now looks less sharp. So I'm kind of wishing they would have not just toggled that completely and maybe allowed some sort of like user change. I don't know, because I, I don't think it looks quite as sharp as it used to as a result. So it's less shimmery, but it's also less clear. I mean, it is really difficult, right? Because it is an extremely detailed game and um, it actually looks absolutely fantastic on our OLEDs, but, uh, you know, there have been some concerns on other screen technologies not looking particularly great with it. I mean, even on OLEDs, people are having issues, and it's just, it seems, I did notice, for instance, on with HDR, especially with dynamic tone mapping on, that original problem in quality mode was way more noticeable. If you turn, it, turn off HDR or, you know, just change your settings around, it definitely had an impact on it. So it just seems like they're trying to address it. And I think it was always due to just having so much fine detail, uh, like single pixel width detail everywhere. Uh, and that stuff is just heavy on, or it's difficult for these displays to really uh, draw well. In addition to just the way they do their TAA, and I, I think it's just a combination of all those things. And by trying to make such a sharp looking game, it has some drawbacks. So... I don't know. It's a weird one, though. It's kind of indicative of the mass take-up of TAA, where people don't really expect to see those kind of artifacts anymore, I think. It's quite interesting, I thought. If you go back to, like, you know, the PS360 era or early PS4, Xbox One, you know, that kind of aliasing was all over the place. It was basically common from most games, right? So, yeah, interesting stuff. So... We did have a question here from uh, Mutton Putters, which, which I assume <laughs> I is, Mar Mar is Martin Peters again. <laughs> he's, uh, he's psyching us out with his hacker alias. Uh, he was saying uh, Guerrilla Games released patch 1.07. Uh, one of the changes included is changes to vegetation to improve image quality in the favor performance mode, but they still request feedback about it. Some sources on the internet say they can hardly see any change in the amount of shimmering. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, we've obviously presented our thoughts, but yeah, I mean, the shimmering hasn't gone, right? It is still there. It is mitigated to a certain degree, but, you know, as, as we've said, it's going to require 
some major changes to anti-aliasing in particular to, to actually fully address this. And I don't think it's worth doing personally. Um, I think they should just, you know, crack on, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, the game is what it is. And um, it's quite interesting to see this kind of uh, um, uh, sort of backlash against a game that isn't going all in on TAA to, to, you know, to the amount of samples that most titles are using. But yeah, interesting stuff. Um, let's move on to the next topic. So in the wake of the release of Dying Light 2, uh, Techland has actually released a next generation patch, current generation, whatever, uh, for Dying Light 1. And it is <laughs> um, out on PlayStation 5 at the time of recording. It's coming out on Xbox sometime soon. I assume there's some kind of um, a patch submission certification lag going on there. Uh, looking at the details there, and um, I actually downloaded the game last night to take a look at it on PS5. It is a PlayStation 4 um, application with Back Compact Plus. You've got 1080p 60, you've got 1440p 60, and you've got um, a 4K 30 mode. Now, Oliver McKenzie is going to be taking a look at that one for us in depth, but I did take a look at it last night with um, the 1440p mode. Played about, I don't know, 40 minutes of it, first 40 minutes of the game out into the open world. It seems to be 1440p 60 locked. Looks really good. Um, no drops at all. I guess the big elephant in the room here is the fact that Xbox Series S is apparently getting the choice between 1080p and 1440p 30 fps modes john john what's your take on this uh i mean this is essentially back this is like a gen 9 aware game right i mean we, we you know it certainly is on ps5 and uh, there, there's probably something behind the scenes that's making this more difficult than we might imagine um depends on where the series s is bottlenecked and um honestly it's a weird one because at the same you know the, the thing about this patch that i really have to say is that this is a game from 2014 and I think it's actually like exceptionally awesome that they they've taken the time eight years later to go ahead and yeah, here's a free update to improve the experience. I mean, that's, that's really good support from, from the developers there. So I can see some disappointment with series S, although this would still improve it over the original Xbox one version, which was not a full 1080p it was sort of like anamorphic 1080p. Like I think it was like fourteen forty by ten eighty or something. By 1080. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So it's improved. The thing that, that caught my eye though was that they actually said they they're adding an improved thirty fps cap on PS4 Pro, and there's a good reason for that because in the original game on PS5 they relied on on a, it seemed like a double buffer VSync to keep the frame rate at thirty, but if you looked at the sky sometimes it would spike to sixty. And then when the PS4 Pro comes out, now all of a sudden the game like lurches a lot back and forth between 30 and 60, and it was really not good. Uh, and at last, it seems like they've uh, went ahead and made changes to improve it there. So I, I suspect that they just made it so now it properly caps at 30 instead of being able to spike up to 60 like that, which is good. It, it It's really interesting. The thing I've noticed between this and, and Dying Light 2, though, is that they really have done a good job at focusing on their target frame rates and they seem to be very concerned with making sure that they can hit that frame rate, the frame rate promise as stably as possible. Yeah, I think, you know, what's interesting, I mean, I've not had any issues with the 60 FPS mode at 1440p on the PS5, but I haven't played huge 
you know amount of the game. But if there is that nuclear option of just dropping resolution to 1080 and then um, uh, and then you know basically guaranteeing that log, that's quite an interesting feature to add. And I agree with you, John, that the the sort of service to the to the user here for a, I mean 2014 game is quite remarkable. And something else which I think is quite remarkable is how well the game's held up. Still looks really good. I mean, you know, aside from anti-aliasing looking a bit rough, still looks awesome. We'll have to make sure uh, to talk to Oliver about, yes, you should compare the draw distance of D of objects uh, to the original console version because in a, on PS4 and Xbox One, the actual draw distance was below the lowest setting on PC. Um, so I'm curious to see if they actually bump that up at all. You can currently play uh, Dying Light 1 at 60 FPS on Xbox Series X via FPS Boost. Uh, but weirdly, that FPS Boost enhancement was never delivered for Series S as well, even though it's got like, you know, uh, almost, you know, three to four times the GPU power. So that is kind of bizarre. So I do wonder if there's something that's a limiting factor there that we're not fully aware of, but yeah, yeah, interesting stuff. I loaded this up, uh, Dying Light 1, uh, in the open world for the Dying Light 2 video just to see how the game looks and runs and all these other things. And uh, unlike uh, RTX 3080 class GPU, it can do 4K 120 now, which is crazy. Uh, which made me think I want to do a video at one point. I don't know if it, when the next RTX line of cards comes out, like what, cool looking games can you actually run at a real 4k 120 and that, that was one that i thought of um so that's the only thing i really have to add it has nothing to do with uh with this patch necessarily but yeah it's a good looking game that runs well this one is really interesting because uh, recently uh john and uh, audi collaborated to produce a pretty awesome df retro episode on f0 the whole franchise the whole series f0 x has come to nintendo switch online and um, it seems to have arrived at a time where emulation in general has improved on, on that particular platform. It launched in a, in a bit of a sub-optimal state, shall we say. Uh, John, I guess this one's all on you. Tell us more. Yeah, so uh, F-Zero X was a fantastic game for N64 and famously one of the few ever for the system to run at 60 frames per second. And I think N64 has less than 10 games that run at 60 FPS. Versus like PlayStation, which has hundreds, uh, it's like three, four hundred something, if you include 2D games as well. Uh, but on N64, there's not a lot of 2D games. But um, yeah, so it seems like they're actually promising online play as well here, which is interesting. Using which uh, I, I I need to, I haven't actually tried any of this, but the thing I, I can say is that they. When they first did this expansion for N64 games, uh, the emulation was notoriously bad. A lot of visual glitches, things not looking correct, behaving correctly. And they seemingly have gone back and made a lot of changes to improve the, the feel of the emulator. And, I, you know, so it does seem to be in a good place now. And I'll be curious to see this game on there. I actually think it'll hold up really well, given that it's very simple visuals. So very simple, clean lines with lots of like basic shapes that should look good even in high resolution. So um, definitely one to check out. The only thing is, is I kept getting confused because the Nintendo Switch Online Expansion Pack, as they call it, grants you access to this. But I kept thinking about the the uh, the actual N64 DD expansion set, 
uh, which I covered in that video as well, which basically brought in like this whole track editor and all kinds of crazy stuff. I it it does it's not announced currently, but I feel like that would be a that would be a huge deal if they brought that over, because it's not something that was ever officially released in the West. Uh, the only problem there, as I showed in the video, you know, if you can't read any Japanese, you'd actually have issues because the whole track editor. Uh, all the menus are just in Japanese without much visualization. So if you can't read what you're clicking on, it would actually be pretty tough to figure out. Uh, so they'd probably have to find a way to translate that. And emulation has improved, right, John? Because this was an issue. Emulation is better on the Zen64 stuff. Although, I don't know about you guys, but I actually don't like the approach that most well emulators use Zen64 games is just to run them in higher res. So you end up with these nasty, poorly filtered HUD elements from low-res sources contrasted against these like super low polygon environments but running in higher res. Uh, whereas on a real N64, everything is like 320 by 240, but it has that special anti-aliasing feature. So it has this very soft, almost like pseudo-CGI look to it. And I feel like that's the, that's the way those games are meant to look. And by trying to run them in higher res, they actually end up looking a lot worse than they otherwise would. So, like, I would prefer if somebody would try to simulate that look uh, for these emulated classics. I agree with you there, John. And if not that, then at least make sure the HUD elements are uh, native resolution of whatever the output is for every every single HUD element. And I don't know how feasible that is for a lot of games, considering a lot of the art is lost now. Uh, or, well, maybe in Nintendo's case, probably not, um, but you know. Or at least find ways to filter it correctly so it doesn't look terrible. At nearest neighbor it, or I don't know, something. Okay, fair enough. So we've got about 15 minutes left before you can start <laughs> talking about stutter, Alex, but let's move on to the next topic. Media vision is marking its return with five titles in development. So again, John, I'm going to come to you on this one. Uh, and I guess we should start by saying, well, you know, let's just remind people who Me Media Vision are and what they are up to. Yeah, just to quickly touch on this, I was su absolutely surprised to see that they're announcing that they're, they're developing five new games. Uh, Media Vision was one of the earliest supporters of the original PlayStation. So they developed... Uh, the European launch title, Rapid Reload, which was Gunner's Heaven in Japan. They developed the Wild Arms games. They did Crime Crackers, which again, we also featured in that PlayStation launch video we did last year. Um, they actually have a lot of memorable games to their name. Uh, but there's a point where they just sort of disappeared, or at least from my <laughs> uh, gaming space, which is a shame. And I'm actually really happy to see these guys like basically announce this stuff. And some of the quotes, like uh, the Media Vision president even ref references stuff like Crime Crackers, which is interesting to see. So, you know, I, I would be okay with a proper sequel to that. Uh, but I, I, don't, I don't know what, the, what they have in, in store. We're going to have to wait and see. I just thought it was fun that they're actually trying to make a comeback. And I assume that recruiting new people for these projects, um, I would imagine at least some of those people might have had experience or at least fond memories of their old properties. I'm just trying to visualize a game launched in 2022 called uh, Crime Crackers. Yeah. <laughs> but okay, fair enough. Uh, let's move on to our final topic. We have confirmation that it requires 3,600 hours 
of totally static content on a Switch OLED screen uh, for burning to kick in. And um, I think the guy who did this deserves uh, some credits, kudos. Uh, YouTuber Bob Wolf Dan Wolf. <laughs> uh, apparently he has spent the past five months subjecting a Switch OLED to the same image uh, taken from the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. So this is a pretty big deal, right? Because uh, obviously going into the Switch OLED um, uh, launch, there were concerns that, hey, should we be using OLED technology? Isn't it going to... Because there are these persistent elements on screen that, you know, on older OLED screens might have caused issues. Um, again, John, I mean, this is something that this is a topic that you've been uh, following for, for some time now. But, you know, thinking about it, were, were there burning issues on PlayStation Vita? Because that was like really early OLED technology. Could definitely get some slight burning, I think, on that. But it, it sort of manifested as almost like this like Mura effect. Um, it wasn't too bad, I feel, but it was definitely something you could see. And that that was a pretty, at the time it looked great, but it's a pretty low spec OLED screen. It can't even do true blacks like many others or like all of them do now. So, um, but you could, you could actually cause issues on earlier OLED TVs, right? And this is something that LG and others have been working really hard to overcome. And I feel like in the last couple of years, they've, they've gotten there. We know firsthand. I mean, I've been using this CX for a while without any issues of burn and even leaving static elements on screen for a long time. Rich, you're using a CX as a computer monitor. Absolutely. For like yeah. two years and now almost. Getting on for it. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I got it when the new consoles launched. So that would have been December 2020. Yeah. And um, there are persistent elements on screen there, which you would think would be problematic. You know, for example, um, Windows, for example, Adobe Premiere Pro timeline. Um, these are all persistent elements that can remain on screen for some time. Um, and, you know, I've, I have actually seen OLED, um, OLED burning actually when I was at turn 10, looking at, um, at Forza Motorsport on Xbox One X. And uh, they were, you know, using LG OLEDs there and that had some pretty bad burn in there. But I've never had issues with it. And I do think that it is just a case of... Um, just generally being a bit more mindful about the content that you put on the screen. But with this 3,600 hour burning test on the switch panel, I'm wondering whether, you know, this is actually now a solved problem as such. Don't artings do a similar thing with uh, consumer displays as well? Honestly, we're seeing more OLED screens now actually sold as computer monitors. Uh, OLEDs have been in phones for a long time. I feel like, you know, it's not 100% solved, but we're at the point where I feel like most people don't really need to worry about it. Um, I mean, if you remember CRTs, my babies were used <laughs> for so long and in, in, on PCs with static elements as well, and they can absolutely burn in the same way. And I feel like we're getting to the point where uh, OLED is more like a CRT in terms of overall durability, at least as far as burn is, is concerned. The only thing you can, you can still see image retention but that goes away rapidly, I find. Like if you go from like a super bright colored thing to like a gray screen, you actually see a ghost image for a short period and then it's gone. Um, that's about as bad as it is these days, I find anyway. But I was really encouraged to see this guy doing this test. Like he, he, he checked it multiple times after like 1800 hours, 
there was like zero evidence of any sort of burn-in after like 3,000 hours. It was just the tiniest tinge of it, but it was mostly fine. And then after 3,600 hours, it did actually kind of appear. Um, and technically, it's just the aging of, of the elements on the screen being uneven. So as he rightly pointed out, if you just like did like an invert of the image, you'd actually sort of like re-even everything out <laughs> if you were to do it for the same time. But to put it into perspective, like what, 3,600 hours or something, that's like six months. I. So he just like left, his image was like, half was like an, an image from Zelda with a bunch of stuff on screen. And the other half was just pure white. Uh, just to see what would happen. And he left it on there for basically like six months, plugged in, just doing that all the time. And I think that's pretty darn cool. Uh, and the fact that it actually held up as well as it did, um, you know, I'm happy to see it. It also kind of makes sense because when you think about Nintendo, I feel like they wouldn't use a screen like this unless it had been very rigor rigorously tested for this, right? Uh, I mean... I, uh, there are some arguments that maybe their quality assurance has taken a dive thanks to the, uh, the Joy-Con drift, which I've still never experienced, by the way, but I know a lot of people have. Uh, and that's mainly because I use the Pro Controller a lot. Um, so maybe it's not quite the same standard they used to be, but at the same time, you know, uh, I think this is good news for all OLED owners. I also discovered... I didn't realize this, but like, so there's been a lot of talk about VRR lately. Sony released a VRR update for their, their like 2020 TVs. And it got me looking into the world of LCDs and VRR. And it seems like a lot of them either disable it completely or modify the way um, the local dimming algorithms work. So essentially, if you use VRR on one of these LCDs, you also sacrifice your black levels or your brightness. So you don't even get the advantage of that. Like on Sony sets, for instance, when you turn VRR on on their LCDs, uh, local dimming just goes off, which means you get those blazing, ugly LCD backlights again, <laughs> LED backlight glow. Um, so like the more I'm looking at that, the more I'm just like, man, when it comes to this stuff, LCDs just kind of suck. <laughs> Sorry, LCD <laughs> fans. Uh, and, yeah. There are LCD fans? I mean, really? I use a G-Sync <laughs> monitor, which Come is on. LCD, but... Most monitors, you know, for, unfortunately, they don't actually have local dimming capabilities. So the black levels on my monitors suck. Uh, and I think most monitors do. We did have this question from Waka Waka. Waka Waka. <laughs> Uh, do you think the burning crisis is overblown? Burning has been around for a long time, CRT plasmas, etc. Um, but many people are still using those panels today. And he's talking about this test uh, that Wolf Den did. And uh, he's asking whether uh, consumer anxiety over purchasing new OLED panels is misplaced. And I suspect it probably is at this point. But Alex, you, you're on the cusp of mo moving from LCD to OLED. Uh, do you have any consumer anxiety about this decision? And is it misplaced? No, it's, it's probably misplaced now, especially after having... Um, First-hand anecdotal, of course, evidence from Rich of using it in this capacity. And I think like anything with most technology, I also try and use it in a conscientious way. I don't just like do dumb things with it. Like I don't leave my CRT on all day or something like that. There's no reason to do that. I turn it off. Um, 
I'm going to do the same with the OLED. And I think that's if you if you approach consumer electronics or anything that you purchase in this manner, uh, then, yeah, I think it will be completely fine. I have no objections at all. The last time I visited the U.S. in 2019, before all this, everything went to heck, uh, I, hel I helped my parents get a new TV and they got an LG CX themselves. And um, it's interesting because they don't pay attention to any of that stuff. They just, the TV's on a lot. It displays whatever the heck they want to display. They, he often, my dad often puts on stuff with the wrong aspect ratio. So you get black bars, <laughs> it's just a mess, right? So they actually, they, they, they push it hard. And I've recently asked them uh, to, to show me a gray screen on there just to see what the situation was. And I was absolutely shocked to see that there was no visible like burn in or anything. You know, happy, relieved, but I was curious to see what would happen after all that time. Because I know they watch stuff where there's just static elements on screen all the time and bars and all this stuff, and they're not thinking about it. Uh, and thankfully, because they did have a plasma before this, and although it was fine in the end, you definitely could see some light burn in uh, on a gray screen. Very light, but it was there. But on this thing, so far, zero issues. Just having visions again, you view John entering the lounge motion plus enabled. No, I, I turned that the heck off when I when I first set it up. Wrong wrong aspect ratio. No. <laughs> Just stop getting OLED wrong. Yeah, it's like outputting in 720i or something. 720i. When I would watch a show with my dad sometimes and he'd turn on with the wrong aspect ratio, I'd be like, where's the remote? I want to change it. And eventually he just got annoyed. He's like, I don't care. Just leave it alone. It's fine. <laughs> Oh my goodness. How can you get aspect ratio wrong? Is it like a log? <laughs> um, so some of the, some of the stuff that he's watching is on older channels that are broadcasting in like 480i. <laughs> and yeah. okay. It's four right, by I three it. and it just stretches out to 16 by nine. And the worst part is sometimes there's four 480i channels will actually be displaying letterboxed widescreen content. So it's letterboxed, so it's squished and stretched. And it's just like, it's got like super bars on it and it's just the most <sighs> my blood pressure's going up just thinking about this <laughs> if, if you don't change the scaling in your nvidia control panel in elden ring and you launch it in 21 by 9 mode you'll get that john by the way you'll get the bars that are stretched so it'll be like the exactly what you're saying elden mm. ring people elden mm. ring elden ring <laughs> yeah. what's what's the timer looking like rich the timer <laughs> yeah. well you know if the ban has lifted Oh my goodness, we start. Yeah. <laughs> However, uh, we're not going to be talking about Elden Ring or, or Stutter for a little while yet. So you hold your horses, Alex. <laughs> hold it. They're hold. <laughs> we're just going to uh, talk about some quick uh, topics before we move on to the uh, supporter Q&A. Um, good news. Uh, this is a public service announcement to reveal that Guardians of the Galaxy is now available on Game Pass, um, Xbox, Cloud, and PC. And um, this is a game that has been, um, well, there were recent reports that it didn't sell in line with Square Enix's expectations. Although, nothing to does. Be fair, yeah, nothing nothing does. does. They always say that. <laughs> <laughs> nothing seems to live up to uh, Square Enix's expectations. Um, but to be fair, um, Guardians of the Galaxy had a bit of a rough ride in terms of its uh, pre-launch marketing. We weren't expecting much from it. Game came out and it's incredibly good. One of the best titles of last year. So the concept of being able to just download this, get going on Game Pass, whether you're on Xbox or PC, 
awesome right john yes i hope this convinces people to give it a try because i think you know the big thing was that it was associated with the avengers game which none of us are a big fan of i think you're referring to the the avengers the avengers (laughs) yes the lookalikes uh i did not enjoy that uh i thought it was ruined by this whole games as a service approach to it um and i was thinking this was just going to be one of those games and it turned out to not be at all it's basically like it's like a mass effect light with a huge focus on storytelling and just incredible performances from the cast uh really interesting beautiful locations it's idos montreal doing what they do best with those super geometrically dense environments kind of like the prior deus ex game that they had released where it's just like yeah we're just gonna make like these little tiny tiled things and stick them everywhere and it's gonna be crazy and yeah they do that all over the place the the combat is a little simplistic i will say uh but it's fun enough it's still fun and there's some challenge to it and it's just the whole the overall experience was phenomenal and it was definitely i was sad that it didn't live up to expectations but again nothing does for them uh, specifically anything on the idos side of things like every like they must set their expectations as like yeah this is going to sell 100 million copies and, and then you know i don't know i don't know what they're doing over there but they're never happy and it's a shame because this game is phenomenal and i hope they at least recognize that idos montreal did a great job here and i'm also you know if idos montreal continue like let's say they were to make a new deus ex game guardians shows to me that they finally figured out one of the greatest visual weaknesses to those games which was the facial performances uh the deus ex games had pretty lousy character models and facial expressions like during the dialogue sequences whereas guardians of the galaxy is among the best i think i've ever seen so they learned something very valuable in making this game and i highly recommend it so yeah absolutely um second topic john i'm keep talking to you here i'm sorry i'm I'm not consciously trying to freeze you out alex it's it's just the topics we've had weeks where it's inverse just depends on the topics (laughs) yeah um but um you're currently um diving deep into the uh, the works of Polyphony Digital for your Gran Turismo Retro. Is there more you can share on that? I have about 30 minutes filmed and uh, 10 minutes fully edited. Uh, but I will say that at the 30-minute mark, I am just getting to Gran Turismo 2. And I'm going up through Gran Turismo 3. It's going to be a big video. Because uh, so, I try to touch on the origins of sim racing... Uh, the origins of Polyphony Digital, you know, the craze around Gran Turismo 1, the project they did after Gran Turismo 1, and then Gran Turismo 2, uh, the launch of Next Gen on PlayStation 2, and then GT3. And then I might touch on GT4, but I'm not going to go in depth on GT4. Mainly just to look at the 1080i mode. But once I really got into this, I realized that there's just a lot of interesting stuff here. And one of the things I really liked is like um, showing, for instance, I, I have the Gran Turismo 2000 demo. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember that. Well, I got it at the Tokyo Game Show. There you go. So, mm. uh, so yeah, they were giving out all of these discs, these sampler discs for PlayStation 2. And one of them was uh, Gran Turismo 2000. And I remember taking it back to the office where I worked at the time. And um, people looked at it and were like, uh, yeah, okay, so what's the big deal with PlayStation 2? This is just like... <laughs> but it's an interesting artifact. I maintain that demo specifically... Uh, made the early the first year of playstation 2 in the lead up to launch uh, come off as worse than it, it lowered expectations 
because it looked it was extremely low res. Uh, it's still using a lot of PlayStation One assets for background stuff. Uh, the handling was just straight up from GT Two. It basically had some decent car models, but even then they had opaque windows, uh, and it just looked bad. And you'd see screenshots of this, and what was worse is because it was field rendered. When you captured screenshots back then, you'd only capture half of the vertical resolution, basically. Um, and so it ended up looking super pixelated as well. And then you put that next to a Dreamcast game and you're like, why are people hyped for this? John, is this the wall guy of the PS2 generation? It kind of is, right? <laughs> but what I don't, the thing is, even covering this now, I, I'm, I can hardly wrap my mind around the fact that they went from that. And then like a year later, they have Gran Turismo 3 which looks so good. And I think it's possibly one of the biggest leaps we've ever seen in the console generation. Like when you look at it, what they were doing at that time, there's so much new there and it's just so detailed and it still holds up really well. It's also the first game I can remember that actually had sort of a reflection probe like system for capturing the environment in the car body. So you actually see the environment reflect on your car and it matched what was in the environment. I don't think that had ever been done before. Um, so plus it has like depth of field. It has like heat haze effects, motion blur, like, uh, specular highlights in the road, like just crazy stuff. And yeah, so, and it's widescreen even. So, uh, yeah, there's, there's going to be a lot of stuff. It's a fun video. <laughs> so you're, if you're like, you know, planning about 30 minutes in so far and you've not even got onto PlayStation two, this is going to be like a big video, isn't it? Like possibly one of the longest the thing is is it's been some months because of various things since i've done a df retro and i feel like i need to do it i need to do it proper here i can't just like go make it limp so i wanted to try to get in as much as as much as i could and try to make a really large featurette on this stuff because i think it's really interesting and there's just so many things to talk about along the way and this is all enabled you know, effectively by the support program where we can take you out of rotation uh, for weeks at a time to do this and um, uh, and everything will sort of work out. And we'll, at the end of it, we'll get some pretty amazing uh, hashtag content. Yeah. Before the supporter program, it was like you could give me at most a week. And even then it was pushing it. And that was just too little to get these giant videos done. And it's just, it was too much stress and it was just causing issues. And it's just like, but it made sense, right? Cause that's a, that's a lot of time commitment, but thanks to this, it is actually now, that's the reason why this tier exists is to make it possible to make these things. So I would really appreciate the support. Okay. Well, we're going to move on and we're going to go move on to uh, uh, support a Q and A. And we've mm. got a big bunch of questions. The specter of Elden Ring. It's, it's, it's following us like a mocking shadow. More questions uh, specifically about Elden Ring. I've lumped three of them together here just to kind of try and draw a line under it all. First one from Tomas Oras. Oras, apologies for pronunciations as always. How likely is From Software to deliver a stable 60 frames per second in Elden Ring on current gen consoles? Should we wait a month or two in the hopes of such an improvement or just get the PS4 version or a new TV with VRR for the Xbox version? Okay, so that's the first question. The second question from Senkor. When there are performance issues like in Elden Ring, will I benefit if I only use a 1080p screen, basically standard HD? 
Uh, will I get better performance if I don't utilize higher resolution? Um, spoilers, no. Um, third question, Granddaddy Prime. I love Ooh, it. That's good. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, I mean, he's that, that's, a, that's a hacker alias and a half. Uh, I often find armchair devs, me included, asking why developers don't simply lower the resolution of a console game with performance issues in a patch, especially when the performance mode of a game targets a higher resolution than is perhaps necessary. Uh, PS5, Series X, Elden Ring performance mode targeting dynamic 4K and not 1440p, for example. Are you aware of any issues why this isn't as straightforward as one might assume? Or are console manufacturers holding the 4K gun to developers' heads? Um, well, where do we go here? I mean, Alex, these all seem to be console related, so you can't talk about stutter yet. Yeah, we will. Not I yet. mean, we'll probably we figure out. You'll probably manage to get it in there somehow. <laughs> but um, let's go through these questions in turn. Uh, I, I do like this idea that, um, I mean, the concept of just waiting to play a game rather than playing it because the performance isn't good enough. Looking at those three questions, let's let's get some input from you, John. Okay, um, Alex, are you are you deferring here? Are you, I, I, well, John, I think are you John taking the a, fifth? John, has, yeah, I am slightly, but I think John's experience with Bloodborne and how it changed so much over time. My goodness, that game changed so much over time, right, John? First to note, uh, I will say, I, I think I'm, I don't know about Tom, but I know I've been playing this game a lot, uh, at least for me, given my limited amount of time, I think I have almost 40 hours on the clock uh, and there's still a lot more to go. And I think it's the best open world game ever made. <clears throat> Just saying. Uh, but boy does it have technical problems but uh also i can i just wanted to to share my experience with xbox and vrr in this game and say that it really is like the solution and it has made the game i've been able to completely overlook the frame rate issues for the most part except in some areas where it still drops to almost 30 which is just kind of like uh, but vrr definitely helps However, because of the fact that it does drop that low at times, and I don't know what that area run like this is when you get into like the second and third areas after the first two main bosses, you know, some of those spots can dip real hard. I don't know what it's like on PS5, but it's significantly worse than, than the opening area, which we benchmarked. And it makes me wonder, I don't really have a lot of faith that they're ever going to be able to get this up to full on 60. I just don't see it, especially because one... They've never done that before, ever. Uh, like, they patched Bloodborne to improve the loading. Uh, they've done patches before, but, like, every time they have a, a game running at a frame rate above 30, it's just wildly unlocked, and they don't seem to care. Uh, I really... You know, you know what I mean? Like, they have, they've shown zero indication ever that they actually want to get a handle on this. And I think just brute-forcing the PS4 Pro version is just almost an unexpected consequence. And I would be curious to see what, like what happens if you dial back certain things in the native version to match that, if it would actually fix it, or if there's some other bottleneck, I, I just don't know what's going on, but I would honestly not wait because I don't think they're going to fix it. I agree. And VRR would be the, uh, the mitigating factor to, to, to lessen the impact. Well, to, you know, just to, address Senkel's question. Um, if you set your PlayStation to 1080p, it will just downscale internally the existing um, uh, 
resolution in the game. So you'll gain no benefit. You'll get super sampling anti-aliasing in, in effect, but it's still the same computational load, um, therefore the same performance. Um, and yeah, what were the other questions here? Um, yeah, could 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 they um, uh, widen the DRS window? I mean, I, I suspect that would help, right? I mean, that can't not help. But the question there is, to what extent can you lower it until it becomes a bit of an issue? I mean, didn't Alex, if I recall, didn't wasn't this an issue with Assassin's Creed Valhalla at launch, where yeah, on Xbox the, the yeah. lower range was too high, so you were getting drops, right? And then in the patch, they changed it so it could drop lower, and it did actually clean up the issues. Of course, the frame rate was better there overall. Way, way better. Um, yeah, that would be the way to do it. Um... I have no problem with that. I mean, you do, I, th I, th I think when you have like DRS ranges that are anywhere from like, like if the game's going 1728p in combat all the way down to 1080p, you definitely see that. Um, but like, I think performance is worth it. Performance is always worth it. Uh, I just think that instead of maybe having such large DRS ranges, you should maybe also focus on, you know, content and art changes to make it not so wild and variable. I don't think they'll ever do anything like that with Elden Ring uh, because the game world is like static. They want to keep it the way it is and they just design areas apparently with, according to John's uh, experience there with VRR and Xbox with little regard for a consistent frame rate experience. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that would be the way to do it, but I don't think they're going to do it with Elden Ring. But to continue the rant about stuttering, I think we can talk a little bit about um, just a recent thing that I uh, tested here for Rich. Um, Was it time? I, I, I guess it's time. I feel like it's time. It's right? time. Yeah, we're, we're just you know almost now in to this direct. <laughs> yeah, you've, let's do you've this. You've been uh, remarkable when you were straight. Yeah, self. Yeah. Fury. Uh, I'm just boiling underneath the surface. I'm waiting for him to look and, uh, at the camera and, the, and the sunglasses come down from above and land on it. Just like, <laughs> deal with it. Um, yeah. So in this case, I did test uh, Elden Ring on a really high-spec PC that I talked about initially in my Elden Ring PC review video. Uh, and I nuked the PC other than the Windows installation because I don't find that is reasonable always uh, to just nuke Windows. But I um, nuked the driver, nuked the game, nuked all the save files, etc. cetera, uh, loaded up the latest patch, and I did notice changes. And these are for, a, for you know, I would say they're positive. The game is still not in a place that I like at all. Um, but for example, like when you, in the initial area, when you would have to spawn, you'd move forward, the game would stutter. You would swing your sword, the game would stutter. You'd hit any object, the game would stutter. I showed this off in the video. Now, those aren't there. There are other stutters that kind of happen, and they may be other shaders compiling, but for some reason, those shaders don't do it anymore. And this is, you know, on a fresh shader cache, by the way. So uh, when the when the that one boss that kills you immediately in the beginning of the game would come down, on every PC I tested, that would always have a shader a compilation issue and it would be a huge stutter um that doesn't happen apparently anymore um when you go up the stairs in that initial area or when you walk by the 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 tree sentinel the um those areas would be areas in the world where there would be a cascade like failure essentially um where the game would just have huge lurches in frame time that doesn't happen any more to the same degree. It still drops the frame rate, uh, but it's not great. Um, 
but then I discovered something else, and that is the fact that the game now on my test setup here has massive uh, kind of like huge frame lurches down to like zero FPS for uh, a little bit. And I think uh, Rich is going to show that off in a video in the future at some point, but it is not good. I will indeed give all these some of the footage here to put into the Yeah, direct. please. Yeah, but sorry, I'm is, talking about it so detailed. We're talking, it's, about, um, we're talking about stuttering that's multiple stutters of anything up to uh, like 730 milliseconds. Yeah, like, the game just stops. It's like, it just what? Yeah, and then, it, then you get this kind of spurt of, of movement directly afterwards as it's desperately trying to catch up with... Uh, <laughs> But you know, um, some of yeah, our colleagues in the press were talking about this pre-launch, yeah. Um, and I'm wondering if it's only now, for whatever reason, that it's surfacing on your test system because it didn't happen, I don't think, during the review. Yeah. There were other issues. I, I don't know why it's happening now. Like I couldn't get it both in online and offline in the review period. Uh, I was also playing on online and offline uh, for the review period, and here I was doing just generic online play. I don't know if it has anything to do with that, but. The fact that the GPU utilization goes to zero tells me that something's really stalling super hard. Uh, so I don't know what they're doing with this game, man. I don't know. Yeah, it certainly needs a lot of work. Um, but, you know, as far as I can see, I mean, here's the thing, right? I'm only playing in that first area that we're talking about. If there's further content challenges further on down the road, then, um, you know, all bets are off. But, you know, on the Steam Deck, it's it's, you know, medium slash high settings fairly consistent 30 fps and those you know those lurching stutters were there before valve went in and did their um, proton optimization work but they're not now so surely please somebody at from software look at valve's work see what they're doing there you know <laughs> attempt optimization there because you know i'm looking at the uh, concurrent steam stats for concurrent users Elden Ring on Steam. It's like, you know, hundreds of thousands of people are playing this game at any given point. I mean, you know, the developer owes it to these people not to not to F this up and to deliver a good experience, right? Because it's, you know, it's just shocking that, that the game is in the state it is. And um, I think also the lack of consistency in, in user experiences. I mean, uh, I, I just caught a tweet from... Jason Schreier of Bloomberg, who was talking about how he played it on PC during the review period because uh, he couldn't handle the frame rate dips, I believe, on the PlayStation. Um, and he was happy with it, but the latest patch, he says, has ruined the game for him. Um, so this is kind of uh, similar, but at odds with some of our testing. But regardless, it's it's just kind of bizarre. And um, yeah, it definitely needs to, to, to improve... What can I say? It's it's disappointing, right? Because the game is brilliant, and um, I'm all, you know I'm looking at all of these questions <coughs> questions that we're getting about how the game is underperforming. When the, I would prefer the discussion to be how brilliant the game is, and it's just um, uh, disappointing that we can't do that. Uh, let's move on to the next question. This one from Brandon von Beekum. What would you prefer, locked 60 FPS or 60 to 80 FPS VRR, John? Easy, locked 60, and I'll tell you why. It depends on the display, though. Uh, as I've said many times, and not everybody is into this, but I, li I like using black frame insertion, um, essentially, or the Motion Pro, uh, as it's called on the OLEDs, because it cleans up motion. Like, it does dim the picture. There's, there's a whole bunch of stuff to it, but 
I think that helps a lot, especially with games in first person where there's a lot of like lateral movement, rotating the camera. Uh, that stuff just turns to soup without it, I feel. And whatever small boost you get from VRR up to 80, I don't think it's worth it for that. Now, if we're talking 80 to 100 FPS... That was exactly what I was going to say. Then, yeah, that's a good one. That's, then, a different, that's a lot more interesting. Yeah, right? that then it becomes tricky, and I might settle for VRR at that point. But 60 to 80, it's just not worth it for that. Um, I, I would only, you know... And even then... Yeah, so... Uh, but if I'm on a, if I'm on my PC monitor, which does not have uh, black frame insertion, unfortunately, I would just use VRR. I always do. Uh, but thankfully, with my PC, sixty to eighty, it's usually about double that on every game I've tested. So, except for Elden Ring, which doesn't support doesn't support over sixty <laughs> or ultra oh, wide, it, it looks terrible on this monitor. <laughs> yeah i think you know when we talk about the difference between 60 to 80 and 80 to 100 you've got to kind of stop talking about frame rates beyond 60 because it's it's all about frame times 60 fps 16.7 milliseconds 80 fps is uh, 12.5 milliseconds which is a huge uh, drop in frame time which is you know far higher fluidity so we're talking about a window of uh, 10 to 12 and a half millisecond per frame in 80 to 100 versus 16.7 at 60. So it's it's actually a wider gulf than just, you know, shifting a 20 FPS window as we're, as we're doing there. Uh, Alex, your thoughts? I'll concur with John here. I don't have the luxury of the OLED at the moment, um, but I think a consistent 60 looks pretty good. The only issue that I have with a really consistent 60 uh, and why I would wish this question was about 80 to 100 is because in games on a mouse, with a mouse with not a controller, uh, that especially first person ones, you can traverse the screen so quickly that I think 60 FPS looks super like filled with gaps. Like it just looks really gapped filled. Uh, and that's one thing I notice on my screen a lot. And it, it has a lot to do with distance and screen size too. Like if you played a game ever on like uh, PlayStation Vita, uh, like I always thought like it looks really smooth there, even though some games were 30 at times, just because of the amount of gaps you could get with that little analog um, controller uh, that they had, the little analog stick there it wasn't so big. But on a screen with a mouse, 60 feels nah, not so great. Uh, I do it for videos, of course, for 4K 60 footage, but I wish I could do 4K 120 or 1440p 120 at times uh, for video sakes, but that's not a thing. But I would say 80 to 100 VRR is uh, much more, uh, I can't think of the English word here, but like it's something that I would prefer. Okay, so let's move on to the next question. This one from Arta Heinz. <laughs> Greetings from Munich. Keep up the good work. I have a question for Alex regarding OLED panels. John, you've been frozen out. Oops, okay. <laughs> Go away, John. <laughs> Why is it so hard to produce OLED screens for the PC market? There are technical solutions for one of the biggest issues, the burning problem. Uh, there are many television manufacturers who could also produce PC monitors, but they don't do it. Why? This or next year, some OLED panels equal to or greater than 32 inch will be produced, but not for the mainstream market. What are your thoughts on this, Alex? The manufacturing situation is pretty important that they can only shrink them down to a certain size before they have to start thinking about like a different genera generation of chipset on them and all these other things. I know that's like what splits the LG OLEDs uh, uh, apart from each other based upon the size. They So they have to have the manufacturing capacity. But I think the bigger issue is actually that 
the desires and the wants of the people playing PC games versus what the manufacturers actually produce, they're not always like lined up. And I think the PC market for a long time just focused on like super high refresh rates, really ugly panels that just have good gray to gray response times or whatever. And it wasn't necessarily uh, catering to the niche part of the market that was looking for a different panel experience. Uh, so for the longest time, you could really only get like weird 27 inch uh, 4K monitors uh, that were still LCDs or VA panels or whatever and things like that. Uh, it was just the niche wasn't there and the manufacturers weren't lining up with this niche. And now I think we're finally getting there because the manufacturing capacities come online and uh, there's enough desire from the audience to allow it to line up with that manufacturing capacity. Um, I wish it came earlier, though, because there was years ago when I was looking at upgrading my panel. That's why I got this 55-inch LCD. Uh, I was looking for something that was high refresh rate capable, also capable of HDR and H, uh, 4K. And it was just like there was nothing there for the PC monitor market that I thought was acceptable. And I had to get a, a, a television as a result. I wish I didn't do that <laughs> after the fact for some reasons because I don't like this television so much. Um, what is, but what is the that model is. you're using again? Do you remember? NU8000 uh, Samsung 55. I think it's good, but I just don't like some of the weird crap it does. Like, uh, I'll just do uh, one thing to complain because I've been complaining so much this episode uh, is that <laughs> for some reason, um, like when you toggle the UI, it's so slow. It takes like maybe two seconds for the UI to toggle. And sometimes it doesn't toggle and you end up hitting it twice and then it flashes like the current status <laughs> instead. And, you know, like it, to Windows, it presents the top resolution being 4096 by 2160 at 24 or 30 hertz. And so sometimes that causes issues with certain applications that, you know, uh, want to render at your native resolution, but they they, you know, get the wrong parameter and they're 4096 by 2160 and running at 30 hertz or something. Oh, God, I just don't like any of that stuff. So I hope my next monitor doesn't have that. We could do, launch a new side channel, Angry Alex. Angry yeah, Alex. We just, the double just A's. Sort of, just uh, stream every day. Just rant about <laughs> stuff you don't like. <laughs> I'm Julian. I'm sorry. I'm actually a very very happy person. Yeah, yeah. But, you um, are, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, John, I'm going to uh, disable sham mode. You, you oh, can comment on this on this question if you like. Any Please, I, I kind of feel like the PC space is just kind of a different thing and nobody, so for a while, at least I think LG was one of the only companies actually even making OLED panels. Uh, and nobody was making panels in the size that you would normally use for a PC monitor, really. Uh, and I think there was just a lack of panels there. And also before that, there was still concerns with burn-in and just the general needs of of a PC user versus a TV user. Things were kind of different. LCDs are just kind of like this well-worn technology uh, that kind of easily adapted to the things that they were trying to do in the PC space. Um, and OLED stuff. Also, is it just me or is this like a huge like tax on PC monitors? Like for an equivalent screen size and a TV? Like I know that there's some special features to it. Not, not necessarily always as much anymore, but, um, you know, like a... A sizable PC monitor tends to cost a lot more than a comparable TV, uh, even if it's missing some of that stuff. 
So I feel like OLED monitors in particular is just, you're just talking about super high prices <laughs> based on that. Which is why I went for the 48 inch CX as a PC monitor. Uh, I, I'm thinking whether it's like manufacturing scale, um, what, you know, the volume market for these sort of high-end monitors is probably a lot lower than it is for an LG OLED uh, market, which could explain that. But yeah, I mean, what can I say? I'm really pleased with using a TV as a monitor. <laughs> it's, it's pretty awesome. A lot of TVs are really bad at that. They don't jive well with usage on a PC. They don't behave with the sleep modes. They don't like to wake up correctly. They sometimes report resolutions supported in weird ways. It just creates a lot of friction for PC users that monitors don't have, which is nice. Um, it seems like LGs, I find, work pretty darn well overall. Like when I use on the PC, it does sort of divide it up between PC and TV resolutions, but uh, which is, I don't like that. But at the same time, you know, I just set it to 3840 by 2160 at 120 hertz, and it's just, you know, I'm not, I'm, that's all I'm going to use anyway. So, um, so yeah, I don't know. I I am happy we're starting to see more OLED PC monitors. We're also starting to see larger but still small OLED screens for other purposes. Like I'm going to do a, a review soon, I think, but I'm testing this uh this pen here. I'll get it right here. So, I've been testing this this here. It's an NOCN sort of like panel. It's a little 15-inch panel. Uh it's powered by USB-C. It has a mini HDMI as well. It can take video over uh, USB-C as well. But it's a super thin and light OLED panel. And it looks freaking awesome. <laughs> the image quality is really good. And it's like, it turned out to be this like awesome little portable kind of monitor you could use on a game console or something. Or, you know, on a PC with a laptop as a secondary monitor. But uh, I never thought about how interesting that type of thing could be until I was testing it. Because it's like... I, you know, I just grab a Series S, go downstairs and just hook it up to that. And you get this rather uh, compact thing that's easy to use and it looks awesome. So, I don't know. I, it does feel like it's still, uh, yeah, but it's it's maybe about 50% to 75% more than a similar LCD model. But honestly, that's super worth it. Especially when you're at these small sizes, LCD panels tend to be extra gnarly. So, um, I think it's worth it, but I don't know. I'm just, I feel like we're seeing more and more OLED panels hit in big ways. So I think it is coming, uh, and it's becoming more common and it's definitely something to look at, especially after seeing all this stuff with VRR and the way it works on the LCDs, um, that use local dimming, because again, without local dimming, you're looking at gray, ugly LCD backlights. Next question. This one is from Joe Tanko. You've previously explained that devs have said to you that the switch's improper frame pacing, especially at 30 FPS, uh, is inherent in the hardware. See Crisis 2 analysis. Do you hold out much hope for this being addressed in the next switch, whenever that may be? Nintendo's track record says no. Um, did we actually say that? No, we didn't say that. In the well, I, I know what they're talking, yeah, I about. talking about. I think it's because you're hitting, I mean, improper frame pacing, uh, inconsistent frame pacing can be caused when you hit GPU limits, right? Which or is very CPU easy limits. to do. Or other switch, limits which, as well. Yeah. I think it's just a case of when you're doing like a, a game, there's so many complex things happening across the system and the memory, CPU, graphics, 
drivers, like all this stuff. And when you're when you're running that razor edge line of like just hitting your performance targets, if something just finishes a little bit too late and something else finishes a little bit too early and you get all these things kind of coming in hot, so to speak, uh, it can definitely create some inconsistencies in your frame times. And I think that's what we're seeing. It's not inherent to the hardware and obviously not because there's a ton of games that run with 30 FPS cap that's correct or just at 60 on the Switch as well. But in these cases where it's being pushed pretty hard, especially with, you know, some of these more advanced engines like IdTech or CryTech, uh, CryEngine, um, it just sort of reveals some of those limitations. It's the same on uh, Steam Deck, by the way. If you use the system level 30 FPS cap and you hit a CPU limit, that's where it really does uh, cause issues. GPU as well. So it's, you know, I think it's more to do with uh, trying to deliver a frame in a set time period without fail in a resource-constrained system. That's Which the challenge is super rest- you know, can- limited on mobile hardware because you're also worrying about battery life. So yeah, there's just so many constraints absolutely. there. And I think that's what, what we're seeing. All of which kind of leads us on to this next question by P- Pizza King. I had no idea there was a monarchy involved with this particular food stuff, but let's go for it. Uh, due to the... Switch 2, Super Switch, or whatever name Nintendo choose for their next console, having an NVIDIA DL- NVIDIA GPU allowing for DLSS on the system, do you think it will be capable of matching or even surpassing the visual presentation of the new Sony and Microsoft machines as AMD's Fidelity FX system? It's not matching DLSS in its visual presentation. Does Nintendo have an ace up their sleeve here, Alex? Maybe it could look in some aspects, better than Xbox Series S presentation in some game is the only thing I can really think about. But I don't think um, the power envelope there of the Switch 2 will allow I mean, the, the Steam Deck is better. kind of like a preview. I mean, if you look at the size of that machine, the power of the APU, um, it, you know, I would strongly suspect that the next Switch will be a lot smaller um, than the Steam Deck and uh, a lot more power constrained, lower clocks, whatever. And, um, you know, it will be a lot more powerful than the Switch. Uh, but in terms of matching the presentation of like a 10 or a 12 teraflop uh, GPU, I don't think DLSS is that magical. Um, but I guess we'll have to wait and see there. Uh, I'm certainly interested to see what they come up with with this machine. And I do think the concept of having DLSS is actually, a you know, it is a huge accelerant. Um, I'm just curious as to how it's going to be deployed, whether it is going to be just a, um, you know, just to make uh, mobile games look decent on a living room display. I think that's probably its uh, biggest advantage. But again, I think, you know, Alex's video that he did on the feasibility of DLSS on a resource con- constrained device, go and check it out uh, because DLSS isn't, you know, it's not, doesn't have zero cost. It, the, the GPU does have to do some work to upscale 720p to 4K or whatever, but the results are really, really impressive. You have anything to add on that, Alex? I guess I'm just curious about uh, what the uh, thermal and power limit for Switch to Switch Pro, Switch Super Switch, whatever, uh, will be in the dock mode. I wonder if it'll be different than what we saw with the original Switch is the only thing I'm thinking. But knowing Nintendo, I think we'll be rather conservative about these things. Let's round off the the whole show with this question from James the Naked Snake. Rumor has it, if you say Bubsy three times, then Audi will appear. Every time I get to two, I chicken out. 
could you test this to confirm? I, I, I can see this as potentially a, a grand trolling griefing system where, you know, if we could organize people around the world to say Bubsy three times, I don't know, it could it could rent the space-time continuum or something. I think James got it wrong, though. It's not three times, it's four times because any Bubsy player will know that this that the quick little lyric used for the music in Bubsy, they say, Bubsy, 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 Like that. <laughs> for years I've been trapped, but I have been summoned yet again. What is it today that we can do? Is it Bubsy on the Game Boy? No, I think it's true evil that you want since you summoned me today. Yes, I think it is Bubsy on the Jaguar that you want today, isn't it? Yes, isn't it? <laughs> Audi, dinner's ready. Can you come? Oh no, Audi, not this again. <sighs> and if he does appear in this show, based on uh, on your uh, singing there, John, that's because of editing. Yes, he's not actually. He's, yeah. he, he's not actually here right now. Don't don't, don't work. spoil it. Jeez, that's the magic. <laughs> okay well that's it that's the end of the show uh i hope you enjoyed it please do like subscribe share if you did enjoy the content ring the bell for those notionally instant uh, notifications you may or may not get a notification for ringing the bell uh, that's my disclaimer uh, uh, but that's all from us for now uh see you in the next show thanks for watching bubsy, 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 bubsy.